This is the latest edition of Return to Reason with Leon Fontaine, where knowledge, common sense, and wisdom intersect. With a high value of people and their right to think for themselves, Return to Reason endeavors to present the whole story so that you can make fully informed, wise decisions and bring positive change to your life, community, and to the nation. And now, here's Leon Fontaine. We are at a critical moment in our history. Many Canadians may not want to hear that. Instead, they want to tiptoe through the summer and just forget the enormous mental weight of the pandemic. But now is such an important time for all citizens to stand up and hold leadership accountable. Today, I'm going to walk you through what has taken place and what's on the horizon and my opinion of what fuels these misguided decisions, self-centered leadership. The Failure of NPIs, Leadership and the Future The non-pharmaceutical interventions, or NPIs, that we have come to know as lockdowns have really failed to prepare us for the future and to guard our society against future crises. Not just health-related ones, NPIs including school closures and vaccine mandates, among dozens of other measures, have most profoundly impacted the working middle class, fundamentally handcuffed them from doing business, furthering their education, or gathering for weddings and funerals. Not only that, but a 2022 report from John Hopkins University concluded that lockdowns only improved overall mortality by 0.2%. The strength and esprit de corps of the middle class has been drained. And for what? A strong, vibrant middle class is the lifeblood of a healthy democracy. That is why, above all things, Canada is at a crossroads. A path where the middle class cannot succeed leads to nowhere good. One important way to look at where this country is, where it is going, and how it arrived here is to examine the track record of leadership. All levels of government and elected leaders have played a part in creating the country that we know today. Like I said in the opening, I believe we are at a crucial moment in our country's journey. Long before COVID, there were deliberate moves to sidestep our liberal democracy and the Judeo-Christian framework it was built on. It's as if the agreement between the governors and the governed has been overlooked. The concept that our individual freedom is innate. It is not given to us by the state, nor can it be taken away by the state. This agreement, which took thousands of years to forge, is precious. Former Prime Minister of the UK, Margaret Thatcher, once said, Socialists cry power to the people and raise a clenched fist as they say it. We all know what they mean power over people, and power to the state. Hmm. What is behind Canada going down this path? Why has Canada's international reputation significantly changed? The first place we need to look is leadership. First, we have to realize that we are all the leaders of our own lives. We all need to take responsibility for our actions and live with the decisions we've made. Not to mention, we must apply due diligence before exercising our democratic rights to vote in elected leaders. These people 
have been given great responsibility and we must hold them accountable. What is a great leader? How does a great leader make wise decisions even in the face of a catastrophe? I'm going to present some facts and I'm also going to offer my opinion. As always, it's up to you to make up your own mind. Canadians are famous for voting people out because they are so disliked. But I'd argue we'd be a lot better served if we spent that energy voting in wise leaders, ones who have a track record of being selfless and doing what's best for the good of all. Far too often, regardless of the party, the charismatic campaign speeches offer nothing but platitudes of career politicians. We owe it to our nation to judge a leader or potential leader based on track record. What has this person accomplished? How well do they listen to and rely on their teams? Do they follow through on promises? Do they take responsibility for mistakes? Do they meaningfully communicate with those they represent? Can they understand the nuances and complexities of any given situation? When I put it like that, it's a long list. And yes, the expectations are high. You know the old saying, it's lonely up at the top? I heard a great leader respond to that one time and say, it's only lonely if you don't take anyone with you. Leadership is crucial, and most people don't understand that management and leadership are two different things. Management addresses problems as they arise in order to continue the day-to-day -day operations. Leadership rallies a group of people to new heights, enables growth, and welcomes innovative ideas. In order for our country to prosper, leadership must respect the framework of a Western democracy, freedom of speech, freedom within the economy, and healthy respect for the rule of law and the constitutional rights of her people. A great leader seeks to design every piece of public policy to help as much of the population as possible. They will use influence and persuasion to reach common ground. A weak leader manipulates to control and gain power. A weak leader has one goal in mind, to stay in power so the cycle can continue. They will use wedge issues to exploit fear and play on people's negative emotions. Both leaders experience crises. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's how a leader navigates the crisis that distinguishes their character and integrity. The mismanagement of COVID is an illustration of where Canada has gotten to over the past decade or so and where we're headed if the direction of leadership doesn't change. This is not limited to those in Ottawa. All elected leaders on both sides of the aisle need to evaluate the results of public policy and ensure they are best representing the will of the people in their writing. The handling of a global pandemic created a crisis of great magnitude. And leaders are human. I think it's reasonable to extend a bit of latitude in navigating something novel. But good leaders quickly adapt, learn from results, and change course as necessary. Great leaders never compromise their integrity as we head into year three 
of the pandemic, we've had plenty of time to observe elected officials show their true colors. Even with the state of things right now, I am thankful we live in a place that has a functioning democracy, the key to lasting change, the powerful middle class. We have a responsibility as citizens. We must hold leaders accountable. We must be diligent in our pursuits for truth and transparency. American military leader General Douglas MacArthur observed, a true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the quality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. I won't have enough time to go into detail on all the examples I'll present today, but this is a wonderful opportunity for you to do some digging on your own and to research these important topics. So instead of binge watching something on Netflix all summer, maybe spend a few of those hours reading. Canadians are much more intuitive than they give themselves credit for. Trust your instincts. Be open to facts, even if they sting a little. You certainly don't have to agree with me, but get informed and be willing to dialogue with people outside of your echo chamber. As I list off ways that weak leaders power grab, think about how these policies have affected you personally and write to your elected officials telling your story. And if there's a vote coming up for you, research the candidates' policy positions on the following issues. Examining leadership, censorship and media bailouts. Tweets being deleted, videos being taken down and misinformation warnings on YouTube have become commonplace. Elected officials and journalists across the Western world have resorted to digital mudslinging to crucify the views and the claims of those they disagree with. Mainstream media bailouts have swelled globally in recent years, and Canada is no exception. In 2021, CBC alone received an additional $1.3 billion to assist in operational costs during the pandemic. Interestingly, CBC has reported a net loss for the last eight consecutive years. It's difficult to get the exact numbers for what was promised versus what was paid out. In the spring of 2022, Cabinet invoked confidentiality and refused to detail actual cash payments. The newspaper executives who helped Cabinet design the terms of the bailout promised in the 2019 federal budget agreed to conceal payments. All the while, a newly released Reuters Institute and University of Oxford study reveals that trust in mainstream media has hit an all-time low of just 42% of Canadian respondents. This study also alludes to the fact that mainstream media received a much-needed boost in advertising sales this year. Some of their top clients... Government agencies buying ad time for COVID-19 related messages. Digital passports and COVID tracing apps. Ironically, 
The convenience of having COVID data on your friends and co-workers hasn't been all that well accepted by Canadians. The federal government spent $20 million on developing and marketing a COVID contact tracing app. Less than 22% of Canadians even bother to download it. And of the 3.9 million people who have tested positive for COVID, less than 2% reported it to the app. Evidently, the feds overestimated how much Canadians wanted to be tracked and how much they wanted to track one another. Broadening powers of border agents, freezing bank accounts. Bill S-7, which has yet to pass through Senate, would permit Canada Border Services agency officers with any reasonable general concern to search cell phones, tablets, and laptops. Travelers would be compelled to surrender passwords under threat of having their devices confiscated. During parliamentary debate, multiple MPs and even liberal appointed senators have opposed the bill on principle. Through the Emergencies Act and citing terrorist financing laws, the federal government froze bank accounts of individuals who had been directly and indirectly associated with the Freedom Convoy movement in the early months of 2022. In a February 17th press conference, Christia Freeland issued a chilling warning. The consequences are real and they will bite. As of yet, there has been zero evidence reported of foreign interference, foreign financial backing, nor has the finance minister been able to identify what specific economic threat the Freedom Convoy posed during those cold winter weeks on Parliament Hill. An inquiry into the invocation of the Emergencies Act was mandatory as per the Act itself, and the appointed 11-member committee has a year to reach its conclusions. Request our reference material for a timeline of the events and the testimony gathered from the inquiry hearings. Manipulation of Family Values and Ideology Mainly through the public education system, there has been a concerted effort to deconstruct the nuclear family and to discredit family values over the past few decades. In recent years, this looks like the presentation of gender ideology, critical race theory, and the erosion of parental rights in the schools. Post-secondary institutions have championed the diversity, equity, and inclusion mantra, and often sacrificing the quality and expertise of instructors. Canadian professor, author, and podcast host Gad Saad put it this way, The edifice of reason and dignity are being peeled from society. The protective layers and values that have made the West are being broken. The great societies that have been spawned in the West and slowly being eradicated by the idea pathogens which share one common thread to free their hosts from the shackles of reality. The few examples I have listed today are communistic ideals, and I do not relish in saying so. These are things right out of China's playbook. Let me be clear. I don't think living in Canada is anything like living in China 
right now. But I do think all concerned Canadians need to wake up, take notice, and insist we do not slide down a path further towards these ideals. For the most part, Canadians want to be left alone by their government. We want equal opportunity to work hard and to find our own way. Overregulation and the politicization of every aspect of life is unnecessary and exhausting. It's time to tell self-serving leaders, enough is enough. It can be so easy to look at the way things are today and become angry, depressed, or in denial. Has Canada really gotten this far off track? While it is important that we are realistic about how institutions have been compromised, it's also crucial we have an optimistic look at how quickly things can turn around. If we wallow in pain and accusations, we cannot use that energy for good to improve the country our kids and grandkids will be living in. Legendary author and poet Maya Angelou framed it so well when she wrote, You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it might be necessary to encounter these defeats so you can know who you are what you can rise from, and how you can still come out of it. So what kind of power grabs do we need to be mindful of for the future? Looking at our future, climate and the green agenda. Many seem to be fixated on the climate as the next big catastrophe for which the government must intervene. I am all for individuals being more innovative and respectful of nature. But so-called climate lockdowns should be publicly condemned as an acceptable policy. Citizens and corporations are already experiencing massive regulations and taxes on emissions like the carbon tax. Greenwashing is the act of labeling and marketing a product or service as environmentally friendly under false pretenses. Well-meaning customers are easily drawn to buying these items, often at a high price point. Greenwashing has become a very profitable strategy all on its own. Feds have been mulling over ways to expand the current $1,000 green levy that has been charged since 2008 on luxury vehicles like Mercedes-Benz. As part of the net zero initiatives, proposals include a $4,000 tax on every new SUV and pickup truck purchased by Canadians. Zero emission vehicles have failed to take off in Canada with less than 400,000 registered. These drivers receive subsidies from the government, costing taxpayers over $200 million since 2016. Other reports show that government-funded charging stations across the country average as few as one or two customers a day, which is hardly enough to recoup the investment costs to install them in the first place. Digital Currency Digital Currency also presents a potential issue. Canada has been developing the framework for a central bank digital currency since January 2020. Tom Mutton, a director for the Bank of England, explained it this way. You could introduce programmability. What happens if one of the participants in a transaction 
puts a restriction on the future use of the money. There could be some socially beneficial outcomes from that, preventing activity which is seen to be socially harmful in some way. But at the same time, it could be a restriction on people's freedoms. In other words, there is a version of the future where the state could have total control of how and where you spend your money. The Pandemic Treaty in 2021, dozens of countries supported the World Health Organization's Pandemic Treaty, which is essentially a legally binding document relinquishing powers of pandemic management to the WHO. Meanwhile, it is extremely troubling that the WHO has recently changed the definition of pandemic. American authors Stephen Groves and Brett Schaefer from the Heritage Foundation wrote that the WHO failed miserably to manage COVID. Although the international health regulations are legally binding, China faced no consequences for its lack of transparency and communication about COVID-19. Worse, the WHO wilted in its responsibility to be an honest broker and instead appeased China and let the rest of the world pay the price. This pandemic treaty might sound ominous. It did to me at first, too. But there are glimmers of hope. Dr. Tess Lowry, co-founder and steering committee member of the World Council for Health, made a formal statement to the WHO in April. The video was trending on Twitter and shared so many times that it broke the internet for a few hours, proving the point that citizens all over the world are interested in other points of view. Dr. Lowry's formal recommendation is that the treaty was not necessary and did not serve humanity well. So far, a second draft of the treaty has not been made public, and no one representing Canada has signed it. I'd really encourage you to look into this for yourself. Remember, you can request our reference material by visiting returntoreason.tv. Inflation and government spending. Pandemic measures cost the government trillions. More money hemorrhaged out of the taxpayer coffers during COVID than was spent on both of the world wars combined. Even the Bank of Canada has openly stated that levers to slow inflation, like raising interest rates, needed to be used much quicker. Not to mention that Canada is still spending money to import oil and gas while handcuffing its homegrown industry out west. Trends towards globalism. There are aspects of globalism that can be good, such as working together to lift whole groups of people out of extreme poverty or to advocate for justice in the face of human rights violations. But it is extremely misguided to think governance should be pushed higher up the elite ladder. History has proven again and again that the closer the government body is to its people, to the local level, the more effective it can be. For instance, we have a different culture and way of life than those in Iran or Saudi Arabia. We have different traditions and ways of passing on our values to our children than those in Poland or Brazil. 
It's ridiculous to think that all of humanity could agree upon and live peacefully under one set of governing rules. A lot of globalism schemes come from a group called the World Economic Forum. Even skeptics agree it may have started out with great intentions upon its inception in the 1970s, but is now run amok with power-seeking elites testing out social credit systems on unsuspecting populations. Globalist elites seem to have conveniently forgotten that they themselves have no concept of the day-to-day -day reality of the people of the world. They are so unaware that to them, the ends justify the means. That's any means necessary to get more power and to stay in power. A weak leader works for his next career posting or his legacy. A great leader works and fights for the interests of his people. Democratic U.S. President Harry Truman said, Men make history and not the other way around. In periods where there is no leadership, society stands still. Progress occurs when courageous, skillful leaders seize the opportunity to change things for the better. Everywhere I go, I have the opportunity to speak with people about what they observe about Canada and the world around them. I've noticed people tend to fall into two ditches. There's the rose-colored glasses crowd. Oh, it's not that bad. Canada is amazing, and anyone saying differently is a conspiracy theorist. Or the crowd that has already given up, saying, Canada and the whole world has gone to hell, and I'm just waiting for the whole thing to blow up. Both of those outlooks are misguided. For every mile of truth, there are two miles of ditch. I'd like to propose that there's a reasonable, rational approach to many of the problems facing the world today, and that is wise leadership. But here's the challenge. It starts with you. We must be wise leaders in our own lives, and we must demand that from the leaders in our country. We must have our antenna up and be willing to talk with one another about taboo-sensitive topics. Every layer of society has complex issues that are difficult to solve, but I am optimistic somewhere someone has an innovative solution. It is our duty to the next generation, to right the wrongs, to get this country back to a place of respect, kindness, and freedom, and to stand on guard for those freedoms always. In all of this, let's carry ourselves with dignity, truth, and peace. I'm confident we can accomplish this through lawful civic engagement. The handling of COVID-19 only revealed the weaknesses that were already there namely our democracy, our economy, and our values. And so far, all the evidence suggests non-pharmaceutical interventions were a failure on many fronts. They did not accomplish what they claimed to, and the harms have been devastating. One leadership saying reads, a good leader is a person who takes a little more than his share of the blame and a little less than his share of the credit. Wouldn't that be refreshing? 
The rule of law and our constitution should be upheld, not undermined. We expect this from one another, and most of all, we should expect it from those in leadership. Let's all return to reason. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv. There, you can also find out more about Leon, his books, and his other media series. You can help us grow this podcast by rating, reviewing, sharing this episode with a friend, or subscribing. Still want more? Follow Leon Fontaine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a suggestion for the show or would like the reference material for this episode, use the link in the show notes.